Really quickly, I just want to say thanks again for letting me be with you this week and um, yeah, for being so engaged and so attentive. This has been a real blessing. It's been a ton of fun. Um, some of you asked me last night if I had um, some more books along, and I, I don't. I'm sorry. I'm all out. Um, I did leave a stack of my um, business cards here. If you still wanted a book, go ahead and grab that and then email me, and I'll be happy to send you a copy if you'd still like that after camp. So, thanks again. Before we get into our last time of teaching together, will you bow your heads one more time with me as we pray? Father God, we ask that in this time, whatever voices have spoken to us in the past told us lies about who we are, whatever doubts that we've had, that maybe your well of love just isn't that deep. Whatever sins that we've committed that we feel have put up a barrier between us and you. Whatever we've done to walk further away from you. Whatever you've done to stretch us in our growth at times that allows you to feel far away from us. Father, remind us and speak again now. Show us one more time that we are the apple of your eye, the object of your affection, your kids that you dance over, that you delight over, that you died to save, and that you're not done with yet. Father, we claim your promises. We know that you have begun a good work in everybody here, and you have said that you will bring it to completion. Father, whatever seeds of faith and growth and challenge you've done during this week, we thank you and we praise you for it. We just ask that again now, um, we would hear you. Not me, we hear you. Father, where everybody stands in need, you have the ability, you know. You form them, you shape them, you know their experiences, you know their darkest secrets. Father, speak and minister to them now. In Jesus' name, amen. I... Aaron Bart can do greater things than Jesus Christ. I can do greater things than Jesus himself. You ready to stone me as a heretic? Is that fair to say? I'll flip it one more level yet. You can do greater things than Jesus Christ. You believe that? Jesus said you could. Every time Jesus says, very truly I tell you, it's sort of his way of saying, fasten your spiritual seatbelt, I'm about to drop some truth on you. And he gives us one of his challenging lines. One of his challenging lines always follows when he starts with that. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. I'm not a heretic, I'm a disciple of Jesus, and I'm claiming a promise that he has put over my life. It sounds ridiculous to be able to say. Was it jarring when I said that? I can do greater things than Jesus. And I can only say that because Jesus promised me that. Say it in your head a second. I can do greater things than Jesus. Now I actually want you to say it out loud, on the count of three. 
Okay? One, two, three. Greater things than Jesus. Doesn't that feel weird to say? Feels arrogant? Feels really bizarre? But you got to keep in mind, now there's a couple things that are always interesting about Jesus when he's talking and telling us stuff. First of all, the context. This is in the farewell discourse. Jesus is up in the upper room. He's got his disciples together. This is the last talk before he goes away. He's about to die for them. He's about to die for you. He's about to die for the world. I'm going home tomorrow morning to officiate the funeral of my wife's grandmother. When she started knowing that she was dying, she started calling all the kids and grandkids close to her. And when we got into the room, when she's only got a few breaths left in her lungs, you don't talk about the weather and you don't talk about the basketball game the night before. You talk about the stuff that really matters. And so apparently when Jesus gets all of his disciples together, it's the final talk. So this is everything important on the table one last time. And he gets them together and he starts telling them stuff like this. And I'm going to show you some more lines through our time this morning of the final things that Jesus says to his disciples. Because if you've got to get something right, if you had to say something, if you were on your deathbed, if it was the last moments of your life, you'd make sure you said the stuff that really, really mattered that you wanted them to absolutely not miss. And what is amazing about Jesus in these chapters, in John 14 through 18, as he's going through this period of time, he talks about the Father 48 times. He talks about the Spirit all the time. Jesus is about to die. He should be pretty self-absorbed in this moment. And all he can do is talk about how amazing his Father is. All he can do is talk about how amazing the Holy Spirit is. And in his death, he's becoming more and more excited about what his death is going to mean for all who will come after him. And one of the things that it means is that because of what he's about to do, you can do even greater things than he does. You've got to keep in mind the word greater, right? We don't think about that in earthly terms. In earthly terms, that would mean that you're a bigger superstar or a bigger celebrity, but that's not what Jesus means when he says greater. Whoever wants to become the greatest among you must become the... Okay, so when Jesus starts using words like this, he's talking in different paradigms than we're used to in our worldly thinking. But wouldn't it be just like Jesus? The Son of Man who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many would save his greatest glory, not for himself, but for his church. We live in a day and an age where there are more people coming to Christ than ever before in history. We live in a time in various parts of the world, experts are telling us right now that in countries like China, 10,000 new believers are coming to Christ per day. The rates are even higher than that in sub-Saharan Africa. God is doing a work in the world today. And if we only listen to our American voices right now about the church is shrinking, millennials are leaving the church, we kind of get a little more self-absorbed. We need to be reminded again and again, God's Spirit is on the move right now like never before, ever in history. And this greatest glory of more people coming to him, of more people growing in the church. Jesus only called 12 to him, and then he sent those 12 out, and within their lifetime, the church became thousands. He saved his greatest glory, not for himself, but for his church. And he invites you and me to get to be part of that. That's what he's talking about in this passage. That's why you and I get to stand here and claim, we will do the things that he was doing. We will be about the reconciliation and the restoration of humanity, and we will be about the glorying of his Father and the celebration of the work of his Spirit. But a lot of this hinges on one thing in particular, and that is being able to trust Jesus in this moment. That where he's taking us, and when he tells us that the Holy Spirit is going to be the one who's going to drive this, we've got to be okay with that. A lot of you here come from Reformed churches. Reformed people are scared of the Holy Spirit. Right? We know charismatic people love the Holy Spirit. 
Reformed people are kind of scared of the Holy Spirit. He's like your crazy uncle. He's like the one who's at dinner table and you just never know what's going to come out of his mouth. We sort of don't really trust the Holy Spirit, right? We love the Father. Jesus we're totally down with. The Holy Spirit, yeah, people do weird stuff when he takes over. I think we're more afraid of the Holy Spirit than we're willing to admit. But Jesus told us we needed to be even more excited about the Holy Spirit than we were about him. Trust exercise. What is that? It's a can of pork and beans. How do you know that? Set it on the label. How do you know the pork and bean man isn't playing a trick on you? How do you know there isn't maggots and death and dead fish in that can? You'll walk through a grocery store, take a can, can't see inside, put it in your cart, open it up, and just trust that it's going to be good for you. Well, maybe. Um, it's going to be nutritious. How do you know you can trust the pork and bean man? Some of you guys have been sleeping in cabins with the pork and bean man, haven't you? <laughs> we walk in through a grocery store. Let's grab the stuff. Just trust. It's going to be good. It's okay. I'll read it on the label. I just trust it. And yet we don't believe the Son of God when he says the best thing that's going to happen for you is when I go away. I have thought so many times in my life growing up, if I could just see a miracle, like God, if I could, just, if I could have just been there when Jesus taught, like then I would believe. Barely anybody did. They fell away. They walked away. Even the disciples, one by one, abandoned Jesus in his greatest moment of need. And so Jesus said, it's not going to be this. It's, it actually gets better. And there's a wall of faith as believers we've got to get to. Anybody familiar with the sport of horse jumping knows there's an incredible growth of trust that needs to happen between the rider and the horse if you are beginning to, to jump over an obstacle where the horse cannot see the other side. And our greatest tests of faith are always going to be the same. The Holy Spirit whispering inside of us, jump over this. Jump over this. I will, ma- I will make the landing better. And we can't see over, so we don't trust it. And this is one of the great movements of faith, you guys, to be able to, be able to know that when God says, jump this wall, that it is for our good. Because Jesus doesn't get to Easter Sunday without Good Friday. You don't get to be part of his resurrection unless you're part of his crucifixion. You don't get to be part of the abundant new life if we're not willing to deny ourselves first. And this is the act of trust. So he'll take us there and then says, leap. And this begins to build over time more and more and more in life. This is what we call walking in the Spirit. This is the next level of growth for the believer and follower of Christ. It is absolutely terrifying. It is absolute scary starting to rely on this voice of the Father within you. The Holy Spirit is even more incarnational than Jesus. Jesus is God with skin on walking around among us. And then the incarnation goes to the next level because then God actually begins to live inside of us. And the goodness of God and the for usness of God is now within us. This is discipleship at a whole nother level. This is how Jesus talks about it next. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But if you know him, or, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. It's a part of the beginning of this passage. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Two key words here. In Greek, there are two words for another. 
There's alos and ateros. Alos means another of a similar kind. Ateros means another that's kind of like it. It's sort of like the difference between identical twins and fraternal twins. Right? Another of an identical kind or another of a similar kind. When Jesus uses this word, another here, he's talking about alos, another. He describes the Holy Spirit as being like an identical twin of him. Like he's just like me. He won't do stuff that I didn't tell him to do, me and the Father. He won't go running off on his own. I know you sort of have this reputation of him being sort of like this renegade and he makes people do weird stuff and people who are super filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, I kind of really don't want to be like one of those Christians. You ever thought that? I remember, I remember seeing people who were just completely alive in Christ and thinking, these people are nuts. Right? Like, even as a disciple of Jesus. And I've, I've, I've come to realize, at the end of the day, this is, this is the greatest obstacle to my devotional life with God. When I am not reading the Bible more, it's not because I don't believe it's true. When I'm not reading the Bible more, it's because I'm afraid that it is. Because if it is true... If it is true, it's going to upset my apple cart something serious. It's going to mess with my life. When I keep God at a distance, it's not because I don't believe Him. I'm coming to realize when I keep God at a distance, it's because I'm afraid He might be right. What if I really did let the Holy Spirit have more control over my life? What if I really did let Him in? Stuff's going to have to change. And I kind of like being in control of my life. I think that's where our fear of the Holy Spirit really comes from. But Jesus says he's just like me. For a good number of years, this was my ride. Took this thing on cross-country trips. It is a metallic cat puke brown 78 Chevette. It is a gutless wonder. This car is a piece of crap. I spend more money every year on this thing than it was ever worth. I would ride along on the highways, just chugging along, people flying by me, giving me the charitable. Nice ride, buddy. Now, you see me riding around on that, you'd be like, please don't make me ride with you. That's horrible. My children were so embarrassed driving in this car. And if I told you, you know what, I, got, I have another car at home, and I'll give you my other car. It could be like an Alos another, right? It could be one just like this. It's going to cost you more money than it's worth. It's an old piece of crap. Your friends will all laugh at you, and you're like, yeah, I don't think I want that one. It could be another of a different kind, right? Like an entirely different car. It could be a Ferrari, but I haven't told you that. I just told you it's another one. And you've got to sort of make the call. We have to trust Jesus when he says, I'm sending you another advocate, that it's one like him, and if you like Jesus and you like reading about him in the Gospels, it's one like that. It's one of an identical kind. There's a second word in here, in this passage. I'll go back. I will ask the following, he will give you another advocate. Historically, this was the word in older English translations like King Jimmy English, where it's translated as the paraclete, right? Literally, the one who comes alongside of and speaks with. Okay? An example for how the Holy Spirit helps us deal with sin in our life. Satan will tell you over and over again that all the sin that is in your life, if we piled up my sin here on the stage, Satan is always lying to me, that telling me that God is on the other side of my sin, that my sin is an obstacle between me and God. It, it interrupts our relationship. It's what, I, what, what separates us. The Holy Spirit, the one who comes alongside of, is the one who stands beside me and doesn't say, Aaron, what are you going to do about that? The Holy Spirit is the one who comes alongside of me and says, Aaron, what are we going to do about that? 
And He stands with me. And He empowers me and produces fruit and He produces life and He regenerates me and He brings new things and He fights battles for me because He doesn't wait till I get my crap cleaned up and then allows me to get closer to God. That's self-improvement. That's not regeneration. That's not sanctification. That's not a life in the Spirit. He stands with me. I want you to think of one of the greatest challenges you face in your life right now. Maybe it's a fear. Maybe it's a doubt. Maybe it's a sin. Maybe it's a hard relationship. God is not on the other side of that. God is now beside you and within you. Saying, what are we going to do about that? Only Satan will ever tell you, God doesn't love you because of that in your life. The Holy Spirit will always say, I love you regardless. You cannot find the bottom of my love. You cannot find it. Over and over and over again. Jesus keeps going now a little further in chapter 14. Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I live with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You know that Christians really ought to be the least afraid people in the entire world. What do we have to fear? Death can't defeat us. We don't have to be afraid of anything around us in life. God not only stands beside us, God is within us. There's not a single secret in your entire life that God isn't fully aware of already right now and is still absolutely ridiculously in love with you. There's no secret left to be revealed. You're never gonna, he's never going to find out something about you and be like, well, that's it. Right? Done. No more love for them. You cannot find the bottom. It can't be done. What are we afraid of? So what if the goal in your life was not that everything would be fixed, but that nothing would be hidden? That's what John Lynch says in his book, The Cure. What if the the most important thing in your life wasn't that everything would be fixed, but that nothing would be hidden? You could be completely free to be you. Because you were perfectly loved as you. And this always brings a whole new meaning to what it means to actually go to God in prayer. You can't tell God anything he doesn't already know. Right? You ever thought about this? You ever questioned why we pray? Why God tells us it's so important to pray? If you can't tell him anything he doesn't already know, then what's the point? Because people who like each other spend time together. I know pretty much everything about my wife at this point in time. We're 16 years into marriage, but I love spending time with her. I started re-envisioning a little while back what would my devotional life look like if I treated God like I treat friends. So we started having bonfires in my backyard and sitting on my park bench before I go to bed at night because that's what I would want to do with like a friend. And so I'm actually reshaping my devotional time in my life to look like the way I spend it with friends. Go for walks with the Lord... People probably think I'm absolutely crazy walking around talking and doing these sorts of things. But we need to start treating God not like a collection of doctrines, but like a person. A person who loves us and we love them. How would you want to spend time with someone that absolutely loves you? How would you want to spend time with someone you like? What if our devotional time felt more like that than an obligation or something you cross off of a list? I think that's what God's inviting us to. Look at everything that Jesus is saying, right? These are the last words. This is the stuff. He's like, if, if you missed everything else, just get this. My Father will love them. 
We will come to them. We will make our home in you. And I've said all this while I'm still with you, but the one who's come in the Holy Spirit, the one who's just like me, the one who's totally for you and completely and perfectly good, who me and, me and my dad are going to send to you, we will teach you everything you need to know. And we'll remind you of everything that I've already said. Everything I've laid out in the Gospels, the Holy Spirit's just going to continue to teach you and minister to you inside of you. Peace. The word peace here too, this word of shalom that always happens in Bible. Shalom is not the absence of conflict. It's not like peace as in we're not at war or we're not fighting. It's the full realization of everything the way it was supposed to be. It's like absolute perfection. This is what God's trying to give to his kids. An ability to rise above the situation in life so that you're not dictated by fears happening around you. Too often in the church today, we stand on the outside and we let culture sort of just run amok and then we sort of just throw truth bombs at it from a distance. And this is sort of what Christians do. This is how we respond to the world, right? We're all watching, we're watching, then we throw some truth out because we think it's most important to be right. And yet Jesus is probably more interested in you being good than in you being right. And we really need to figure this out as a church today. And maybe people would like us, we'd be able to minister a little bit better if they knew that we too were for them and that we are good, just like God is. But if we don't have to be afraid anymore, then we don't just simply react to culture. We can stand in the middle of it and lead like God told us we would lead. God said, you will do greater things than my own son because I'm going to come and I'm going to be inside of you and we're going to do this together for the redemption of all things. This is your identity. This is who you are. You are the Holy Spirit coursing through you. You are the fruit of the gifts of God. You are God's promise to the world and the redemption of all things. You are the voices that will reach every nation. You are the one who will go into every neighborhood in your community. You are the one who will put everything back together. It's not somebody else. It is God's promise over your life. And Jesus said it before he left. And if we believe him, then we have to take everything else that comes with it. You don't just get Jesus for a salvation. You don't just get a Savior. You get Jesus as a Savior and a Lord. He has to have his way inside of us. Because he wants to give us life. And he wants to use us to change everything. I'm going to read this last passage with you out loud really slowly, okay? Maybe close your eyes if it helps you. I just want you to let this wash over you. I want it to sink in. I want want you to understand that this is your identity as God defines it over you. Jesus' last words. If you're going to miss everything, you've got to get this. I have much more to say to you. More than you can bear right now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you.
He will tell you what is yet to come. He will give you peace for the things that are still to happen in your life. You are the object of God's affection. He knew you and fit you together in your mother's womb. He has plans for you. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper and not to harm. Plans to give you hope and a future. You are my beloved. My desire is for you. You are the object of my affection, he says. You are the new humanity for the world on display. You are the evidence that there is a resurrection. I've heard that challenge before in sermons, right? If if your life was on trial, if, if your life was on trial, would there be enough evidence to convict you that you were a Christian? Guess what? It's not your life on trial. Jesus was on trial and did it and already paid the price for you. You are the evidence that he is the resurrection. It goes the other way. Everything he puts on himself, I will do it. I will do it. I will do it. And I'm just asking you to go. That's your verb. That's all you get. You get go. I'm taking all the hard stuff on me. I'll take the verbs. I'll take the doing. I'll take the punishments. I'll take the pain. I'll take the shame. I'll take the guilt. I'll take your sin. I'll take your worst secrets, the dirtiest stuff you've ever thought, the stupidest things you've ever done, every fear, every anxiety. I will take all of it and I will give you life in its place. And then me and my Father and the, Holy, and the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, this perfect community of love that had exploded into creation in one gigantic act is now going to be inside of you and we're going to change the world together because that's who you are. You are the evidence of the resurrection. You are the presence of God in the world. This is your identity. Hear God's voice loud and clear. Make no mistake about it. This is who you are. When Bill Hybels said the church today is the hope of the world, he was not kidding because that's also what Jesus said. You. You. We ask you to stand and we'll say a blessing over you. Before we finish up our time, I got to ask the band to come on up front too. We'll sing it together after. Beloved children of the great and the living God, the one who formed you and knows you, the one who died for you and rose for you, the one who walks among you and lives in you, you are His. You are His handiwork. You are His affection. You are His gifts. You are His fruit. You are the apple of His eye. You are everything that He needs to change this world. You have everything within you already to become more sanctified in Christ. And the work that He began in you is not done yet, but He will bring it to completion. He is so in love with you. He will take you home to be with Him forever. You are the new humanity on display. You are the evidence of the resurrection. You are everything God intended you to be. And he will make his plans come. Go in peace to love and to serve the God who adores you. In the resurrected name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
Draw. 